So we've been doing a uh, doing the stuff series, uh, which is based on a, a guy who was one of the foundational members of the vineyard movement called John Wimber. And the basis of it is out of John fourteen twelve, where Jesus says that we will do even greater works than him. So part of the emphasis on the series is that we want to do what Jesus did. And one of the things that Jesus did a lot of was deliverance. That word can mean a lot of things to a lot of people depending on your background and churches that you may have grown up with to do with like theology, experiences and teaching. So you may come today with some um, from some different perspectives on this and and it may actually even be a triggering word for you as well. So it's good that there's no kids here because I was actually going to say um, parents to, you know, maybe you want to have a follow-up conversation afterwards with your children because some of these things can be quite triggering, especially for children. And 40 year old old men who get freaked out as well. <laughs> I suspect most Christians fall into, um, into a few different categories with this whole area of deliverance. Um, I think one of the big ones we probably most of us all fit into, this is a generalisation, but most people who are growing up in the, in, in the Western country fall into, even if you become a Christian, and even though you probably have been taught about some of these things in a basic sort of way that you believe that there was a devil and demons and, and, and evil and things like that, we kind of functionally don't believe it, like in the sense that it's kind of, oh, it's something that happens overseas or happens at that new church. Um, so, so a lot of us kind of believe it theoretically, but we kind of like don't sort of like an experiential kind of way. And the reason behind all that is that we live in a Western country. So for the last about 300 or 400 years, our cultures have been shaped so much by reason and skepticism and empirical things. So basically, we're naturally skeptical, right? So we naturally hear about things and kind of go, is that real? Is that something that someone made up? Is that psychological? Has someone got some sort of mental health problems there? So we can often look at supernatural things, and particularly things with the demonic, and be like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah maybe it's a whole lot of emotion or something, or, or something. Because we're approaching it as like rational Westerners. And I'm guilty of this as the next person. We get that kind of natural skepticism that comes in. But if any of you have been um, overseas to a non-Western country, or even um, uh, amongst any indigenous people, there is a different perspective around the spirit realm, right? That, that, that this is stuff that's normal, that happens in the world because we live in a, in a, in a realm or a dimension where there's spiritual things happening. So I imagine a lot of Christians fall into that category. And then I think there's a lot of us, and I'm probably one of these people as well, to be honest, that man, we're just like, man, that stuff's freaky, eh? Like, oh, it freaks me out. Like, um, you know, I, I still sometimes, when I have to go out to the lounge at night and it's dark, I'm still that person who puts the light on and like, <laughs> sort of, you know, the check everything's okay and shut the doors. Or if I've got to go to the garage at night, I'm still like quite happy when the light's on. And, you know, I'm a believer and I believe I've got the Holy Spirit in me. But there's still part of me that finds some of that stuff really freaky. And I think some of you guys, you know, some of you have felt that fear or that worry about the demonic or evil things. And you probably want to just put your head in the sand and say, oh, you know, that's, I don't, if I don't see it, if I don't experience it, it's not happening. Right? 
And then I think there's a, a, a minority of people that you've probably come across as well in church. This is the third category. And they're people who are obsessed with this stuff. Have you experienced those people? Like, that's, that's all they talk about. There's like a demon behind everything. And, and, and everything's supernatural. And everything's spiritual. And they're always telling you they're under attack from the enemy and demons and devil and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, oh, okay, whoa, 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 that seems a bit intense. And so you can see we've got, we come to this thing with so many different perspectives based, like I said before, on our church upbringings and often our experiences. Um, from my own experiences, um, I grew up in, in charismatic churches, and some of you may have as well, and it doesn't seem to happen so much these days, but often there would be, and especially during this like Toronto blessing time where there was this time of renewal, there was the stuff where you would be in a, a church service and all this weird stuff would start happening. And there'd be like screaming and shouting like um, during worship, like, and, 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 and you know, as a teenage boy, I was like, what the heck's that? Like, what's going on there? That is random. And, and, then, and then I came to sort of find out, oh, okay, that person is manifesting. And so that means that there was like a demon sort of manifesting um, out of them. And often there would be um, maybe one person or a group of people around this person and they'd be like praying for them. And they're usually praying something like, you know, come out in, in Jesus' name. You know, come out in Jesus' name. And this person would keep screaming and shouting and doing all sorts of things. And then eventually, I guess it came out and this person would um, maybe just start crying and they'd have this sort of peace and release and stuff. And so this was kind of, for me, this was kind of a little bit normal. And I understand for some of you that might not have been normal for your church experience. You might have gone to a church particularly a cessationist church where they don't talk about the gifts of the Spirit in this age, that that all ceased about first century AD, that you, you would be really shocked if you saw something like that. That would really sort of shock you. And then I've also had, uh, on top of that, I've also had, I think I've got kind of like a, I don't know, like kind of a, a sort of, I think I've sort of feel stuff or discern stuff in myself, and I, I, I haven't really developed this, but I've had it in my life. So I, had, I used to have a series of um, a lot of dreams, and I, I don't know if any of you have had these dreams, where in the dream you have some sort of demonic um, effect or oppression, and it feels like there are things like lying on top of you, and, you, and in the dream you're like trying to say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you're trying to, like, in the dream you're like, in your mouth trying to like get those words out, and you just feel this kind of oppression, and then you like kind of eventually wake, and you're like, <laughs> and everybody's like, everything all right, Nick? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I used to have a, a lot of those dreams like that. Um, I've also uh, I had this experience in my early twenties, and the skeptical part of me just says it's probably part of my imagination. But one night I woke up with this kind of sense of a presence in my room. And I swear I saw it looked like a scarecrow standing in my doorway. Like, and I did the really biblical thing. I just threw a pillow at it. <laughs> and then it turned the light on and then it, I think it's gone. And so to this day, I don't know, it felt like there was some sort of spiritual presence going on. I was in my early terms. I didn't know how to deal with something like that. But yeah, I don't know. Was that my overactive imagination? Was that, was that something, a demonic thing? I don't know. But I've had these experiences and... Um, you may have had it too, where you go into a, a building or a home and you just feel a presence, eh? And it just feels, ooh, what's going on here? Or it feels really cold or something, and you're like, ooh, there's stuff that's going down here or gone down here in this place, and you just feel it. Um, it's like a kind of sense, uh, oh, something's not right here, and, and you just sort of want to get out of the place. And I, 
I, I know a lot of us feel those feelings, and sometimes I think we just put it to the side and don't realize that we're actually discerning something in the spirit that's going on when we're going into environments. So, yeah, I've had, I've had these experiences, but one thing I, I guess I noted over my time period in church is that often this area has been kind of neglected, even in charismatic circles. So, even in charismatic circles, there tends to be like a power church ministry or some person who's an expert in this area that people sometimes go to to deal with this stuff. But by and large, we don't talk about it or teach about it or kind of experience or do it in our church services or through our church community as a general practice. And the thing is, when I, when I read the, uh, the New Testament, I see Jesus doing this all the time. This is an interesting story from Mark 1, chapter 21 to 28, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. So this is Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. And, you know, he's already, he's been baptized, and he's already had 40 days in the desert, and he's had this confrontation with the devil already, the spiritual battle that's happened already. And then he goes to Capernaum, and when Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one with authority, not as the teachers of the Lord. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by a pure spirit cried out. And there's an interesting line there because he said, just then, a man in the synagogue had an impure spirit cried out. Jesus was in the church of their day. This person was a member of the synagogue. He was someone who came along to church every day and, and sat under the word of God. And we, we believe the Old Testament is... The word of God, right? So this person sitting under the word of God is with other fellow believers, and this person had an impure spirit. So here, right in a, in a sort of church environment, in the synagogue, is this person with an impure spirit. And it's quite interesting because there's another incident in Luke 13, verse 10 to 7, where there's a woman in a synagogue who been it says she had been afflicted by a spirit that had made her sort of her back. Um, um, curved her back for 18 years. So again, another incident where someone's in a basically a church environment where they've got some sort of a, affliction from the demonic. Which I know it sort of runs counter to a lot of what some people have been taught in church environments because people have been taught such things as oh, whether you know where the Holy Spirit is, there'll be no, there'll be nothing of the enemy inside you or in a church environment. Um, but that doesn't actually make sense when you think about the nature of God, right? Because God is omnipresent. So the very nature of the fact that he is everywhere and in all places means that he will be bumping up against the enemy in a lot of places. And we see this in Job, where the devil comes before the, our God in sort, of the, in sort of like a heavenly court and starts talking to him about Job. So there's the, there's the enemy and, and God just in the same space. And so we can have that in, in a church environment. And it says here that the Spirit cried out, What do you want from us, Jesus and Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. 
See, I talked about this when I was talking about healing. Jesus not only taught and preached about the kingdom of God, he also embodied it. And he demonstrated it through lots of miracles, healings, and deliverance. And I think deliverance is, is one of the, the best examples of what the kingdom of God is about. Because it's about, you know, you've got the two kingdoms. You've got the kingdom of God, and then you've got the kingdom of darkness. And you've got incidents in the Bible here, in the Gospels, where the kingdom of God is delivering and driving out the kingdom of darkness. That's what the kingdom of God does when it comes into our lives. And when we submit and yield to the Holy Spirit, it, it drives out the enemy. And Jesus is demonstrating the power of the kingdom to do the ultimate deliverance, which is to save us. And it's, a, it's an incredible um, act of his power. And one way I've um, found that's been really helpful to think about this is that the ancient church used to, you know how we've got the Trinity, we've got the Father, we've got the Son, we've got the Holy Spirit, that's, that's the Trinity, which we, we worship and we adore, right? Well, they had, um, they actually put together, they actually said, oh, a way to like, think about evil and the, and, and the evil realm and the counterfeit is to think about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so what they meant by that was that the world is not the earth, like God, for God so loved the earth that he gave his only son, like it's not the planet, but it's the, it's the principalities and powers, it's the systems that are in our world that cause all the pain and suffering, which is the it's demonic stuff, which is of the devil, those things that cause racism, wars, genocide, um, hatred between peoples. That is the world, the world systems that we live in. Even, even some of these things like materialism and individualism, these are idols and systems over whole countries um, bringing brokenness into people's lives. And that's why the Apostle John says, be in the world but not of the world. You know, like we've got a mission to, to renew the earth. God's going to renew the earth. But there is stuff in the earth that, that, that causes trouble for us. That's behind things that happen in our world. And then they talk about the flesh. And the flesh is, the, is, is all those desires that we have for, for really bad stuff. Like that we're, we're broken people in, in our bodies and that we desire things that the Apostle Paul talked about. I do the very thing that I don't want to do. Like, you know, it's like an example of this is uh, when you're on a diet and you're like, man, um, I can't, you know logically I shouldn't eat that cake. You know, like that stuff's rubbish for me. I should be eating healthy stuff. But have you ever had that experience where you're at the fridge or you're buying this cake and it's almost like like there's a like you're knocked out or something and the next minute you've got that cake in your mouth and it's like yeah, yeah. You're like, how did I get here? Like and it's like, you know what that is? It's because and, and science backs this up with the flesh, is that you've got a um, you've got a, like a primal part of you, uh, I think it's the amygdala or something, the limbic system or something, which wants things, you know, it wants things and it doesn't care about whether it's um, good or bad for me, it just wants it sort of thing. And so it overrides your logic and your prefrontal cortex to be like, get inside me, oh, that's so good. And then you're like, oh, 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 how the heck did that happen? And it's the same with all sorts of sins we get into. You know, people getting into pornography and stuff, I'll just have a little look at this and then next thing that I know, three hours in or five hours and the, the days of it. Things like alcohol, I'll just have one or two drinks and next thing you know, you're down to, six or eight drinks and oh, where the heck did that go you know like people fall into this is the flesh this is the broken part of us that that, that, that partners with with the enemy to for our own destruction 
And then, then the other part of it was the, the third part of it is the devil. And uh, um, I don't know if you you know you know much about you know the devil, but if if you know if, if you read Revelation, it talks about that he was um, basically like this worship leader in heaven, and he rebelled against God. This is before uh, the creation of the earth, and he took um, a third of all the angels with him. So what the demons are are, are fallen angels. So they were good once, just like the devil was you know, part of God's family. And he, they rebel against God. And then you know, he leads these fallen angels and they give us lots of trouble. And this is, this is the part that is, 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 again, similar to what I was talking about with, with, um, with healing. Is that we live in this, in this space in between. And so when you got when you got saved and you gave your heart to the Lord, you not you might not know this, but you, you switched allegiance. You 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 know you you were part of the world. Um, Paul talks about you were dead to sin. You were caught up in the systems of the world. And then when you became a Christian, you switched you switched your allegiance to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, your Master. And he's a good master. He's a good savior because he says his yoke is um, easy and his burden is light. But the way of the world is actually for destruction and, and hard things in our lives. So when you become a Christian, and you, you invite Jesus into your heart. This is what you're doing. You're being delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into a, into a kingdom of Jesus. And this is why, this makes sense, because this is why... We, 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 this is why evangelism is so hard. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.14, In their case, the God of this world, little g, this is the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So this is like why, you know, you, you might love Jesus and think he's awesome, and you're like, you're thinking, why can't other people see this? Like, why can't you? I mean, you're talking to your, your colleague or your friend and you're trying to tell them about your faith in Jesus and you're like, and, and they're just kind of like, meh, well, that's good for you, mate, but, you know, I, you know, I just think you should be a good person or I don't want to be religious, I'm just spiritual, or, you know, yeah, cool, that's cool. That's because they've got the blinders on, you know, the devil and the world systems are, are stopping them from seeing Jesus and having that revelation of who he really is. And so when we are doing evangelism, we actually need to be praying that the Holy Spirit would knock off those blinders. A bit like how Paul had that experience on the road to Damascus. We need to pray for our friends and family that they, that the Holy Spirit would knock off the stuff that's holding them back from seeing Jesus. And then do the Alpha programs and everything else. But we have to, we have to, there's a spiritual battle that has to go on there as well to, so that they can actually even see Jesus and to experience him. And the best way I've, I've kind of thought about this in a, in a, in a, in a context um, is that we live in a battle zone. You know, we're born into a world that is at war. And like I said before, there are two kingdoms there's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus has won the decisive victory over the devil and death at the cross. Through his life, his death and the resurrection, he's broken the power of sin. He's broken the power of, of, of in sense, of the devil and of, of, of death itself. And in Colossians, Paul actually says that he's made a 
public spectacle of, of the powers. You know, he has he triumphed over them. And what, that, what Jesus did on the cross, what that event is, is basically like D-Day. If you're familiar with World War II, D-Day was on the 6th of June, 1944, and that's when the Allies landed at Normandy in France to attack the, the Nazis who had occupied Europe. And it was a decisive battle where they stormed the beaches of you. You've seen Saving Private Ryan. It's, it's brutal, but they, 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 they get there, they make a beachhead, and then they start launching through France and going towards Germany. And it's the decisive battle because everyone knew, even the, even the Nazis kind of basically knew that it was, it was, all, it was all over from there. Like, they were basically fighting a retreating battle from there. But the war doesn't end just in a week or anything. It takes almost a year until the Nazis surrender in Berlin. That's the 8th of May, 1945. Almost a year of fighting. So we live in this mop-up zone between Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected and the church being launched and this wonderful, glorious day that we all look forward to when Jesus will return and he will destroy the devil and the demons and evil forever and ever, renew the earth, and we're going to live in that amazing eternity. Amen? But we don't live there yet, do we? We live in this in-between. We're in the mop-up zone, and there's a lot of territory from Normandy to Berlin where the enemy is going to get some hits on, on, on the people of God because he hates the church. We, are, we represent Jesus in the earth, and he wants to discourage us. He wants to knock us off course. There's going to be casualties, and so we have to be, we're in a battle, and we have to be wise about that. So I'm going to get to the, a question that I guess a lot of people have asked me about this. Um, apologies, actually. One of the guys is pulling the fingers there, I think, you know, on the side. <laughs> I think he's doing victory, but I just thought that was humorous when I saw, saw the pictures of the left there. Um, one of the questions someone was asking me uh, about this recently was, yeah, can a Christian who is a believer and filled with the Holy Spirit be possessed by a demon? And this is a, a Greek word, which I, I probably won't pronounce properly, but um, demonos, it's something. Um, this is the word that is used for in, in, in your Bibles, and you'll probably read, it, it often writes, um, so translates it as demon-possessed. And the problem with that word for us as Westerners is the way that we understand possession. So I've got this watch here on my, on my hand. You would, you would probably say, because I am in possession of this watch, that it's mine, eh? Just like if you saw me in, in a car, you'd probably assume that I am the owner because I am in possession of it, normally. And that's because in our law, in, in our understanding, there's, there's a saying about this, possession is nine-tenths of the law. And what that, meant, that saying means is that the person who is in possession of an item of property is presumed to be the owner by the fact that they are in possession. So we think about... Uh, demon possession, that, that, like that demon owns your body when we're thinking about it in that kind of way. But that's not what the Greek word means and that's not what demons do for a believer. The Greek word that is usually translated demon possessed in the gospel 
literally means to be rendered passive towards a demon. And what that means, it means that you um, can be through some sort of opening or stronghold in your life that you can be affected or afflicted by a demonic presence. Um, so the demon doesn't own you, but you can be affected by it through something that has happened to you or something that you have done. It's like a wound, you know how like you can have a wound, if you don't treat that wound, then bacteria and things can get in which can affect the whole body. And so it's the same way that the, the, the enemy can get a foothold or a stranglehold. And uh, something that was really helpful for me to understand this, especially in my Western kind of mindset, was from a book I read uh, by John Thompson uh, called Deliverance. And um, he gives this helpful analogy of a house about talking about someone's body or you know, residence kind of thing. And he says that, like, just like a house, um, the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, is the owner of your house. He's on the title. He owns it. You are his. You belong to him. You've been, like I said before, you have been brought into his kingdom. But he says that, you know, through habitual sin, maybe even generational sin, and curses, um, experiences, even stuff that happens to us because it's a war zone, so it's not fair. Just like in the Ukraine at the moment, there's, there's children and civilians who have been affected by a war that they have nothing to do with. It's not their fault. And they are, are the victims of that. And likewise, in this war between these two kingdoms, you know, people get affected by stuff that they do and stuff that happens to you. And sometimes it's not even your fault. And sometimes it's some generational stuff that your ancestors have done that's been passed down. So he says, because of those things, those things that get into us, um, it opens access points and it's almost like he says it's like the back window in one of your sort of in the back room of your house has been left ajar and these demons have got in like squatters into this back room causing all sorts of trouble and affecting your house here's a picture of um, some squatter damage to a house looks like one of the flats i had when i was a student <laughs> um so, so he's saying that, like, you know, basically, you wouldn't say that those squatters owned that property. That they're not the owners of that property. They are sort of intruders that have made some access point into that property, but they don't own that person or that household. And, and, and basically, it's waiting for the owner or the police to drive these intruders out. And it's the same way with demons, that they're, they're like squatters that have got, got stuck into a part of your, you know, into your, it's part of your household kind of thing, and you need to deal with them so that you can be free, so you can experience true freedom, because that's what it's all about. And Jesus, um, when he was um, starting his ministry, he, he said, you know, I, I've come to set the captives free, to set the oppressed free. This is what deliverance is about. It's about finding true freedom. And just like those people in those gospel stories, people can come along to church for years and years and have stuff going on that they're not even aware of, and how it's affecting their walk with God. And what deliverance ministry is about is basically about finding true freedom. But there might be some stuff that's holding you back from having true freedom. So how do we, as I finish, how do we experience freedom? John Thompson in his book gives a helpful analogy for individuals and for church communities. And he makes this point that um, 
Churches tend to fall in one of, one of these three categories. So he says there tends to be churches that are really good at allegiance. So they're really good at evangelism. They're really good at getting people across the line and declaring that Jesus is Lord. And they do fantastic at that. But people don't tend to grow in, in truth. And there's no sort of power going on of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, they're great at evangelism. They're great at witnessing. They're great at fixing people coming into the kingdom. And then he says there's churches which focus on truth. So these are places where there's lots of teaching, um, lots of creeds. There's lots of good doctrine and good, good learning um, as, you, as you grow in your faith and your knowledge. But there's not a, there's not a lot of people getting saved. And there's no power, there's no experience of the Holy Spirit in those congregations. And then he says, there's the power churches where everyone's bouncing off, off the walls and it's, it's fire tunnels and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, but there's not a lot of people getting saved and people aren't growing in their, in their faith, in their maturity, in their sanctification as Christians. And what he's saying is that effectively for individuals and for church communities, we need to have all three of these, just like a three-legged stool there, because if you take one of them out, the thing's going to fall off. It's going to be unbalanced, it's going to fall over. And, and that basically it's about a convergence of the three things is what will make a healthy community and a healthy person in faith. So what does this look like in practice? For individuals, this is, this is you know, allegiance, this is Jesus as Lord. And if you're not a Christian today, um, thank you for coming along today, because this would have been a very weird sermon for you to hear. And uh, thank you for your grace. Um, but if you'd like to encounter this wonderful Jesus that we all know, you know, please come have a conversation. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. And that first step is about making sure Jesus is Lord of your life. And and, you know, and even, even as Christians have been, um, for many years, we need to continue to do that. We need to continue to say, Lord, you are Lord of my life. I, I lay down my life for you today. I surrender my rights. Lord, you are my God. You know, that, that is something that we all need to still walk in every day. And so this is, this is, what, this is what Jesus talks about um, when he says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And then we need to walk in truth. It says the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this is this is the spiritual practices. This is the spiritual disciplines of being in the Word, of praying, of fasting. I like that one. Um, of of resting properly. Of, of you know seeking the Lord every day and growing in Him. This is this is how we grow in truth is through 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 being with Jesus every day so that we can become more like him. But then the third step is walking in power. Because, you know, when you're with Jesus, you become more like him, and your character and your heart becomes more like him. But we also want to do what Jesus did. And this is doing the stuff. This is walking in power. And this is actually walking in the authority that God has given us. We've all got authority through Jesus so with deliverance like healing or any other kind of things, it's not because of us. It's because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, that gives us the power to do things. So all of us have like a common authority to actually engage in, in healing and prophecy and, and even in, in deliverance. 
Um, there are people that do have um, a special gifting in this area, a special kind of anointing, um, and a kind of an extra kind of level of authority to, to speak into situations. But we all can participate in this and support people as they're going through this process. And it's about, it's about actually doing that. And the best way we can do this individually in our lives is in James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And the first part of that verse is submit yourself to God. Before you resist the devil, you have to submit yourself to God. You have to surrender to God. It's allegiance again. It's, 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 it's surrendering our life. It's being with Jesus. It's following him. Then he will give you, through the Holy Spirit, the power to resist the devil. Too many times Christians try and resist the devil without surrendering to God, without submitting to him and using his power. Because we actually have the power as Christians, through the Holy Spirit, to resist sin. We don't have to keep doing those patterns of life, going back to Egypt. We can live in liberation and freedom. But we have to submit ourselves to God and let the Holy Spirit help us to resist temptations, habitual sin, to go into those things, and to resist the demonic and the devil. That we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do that through God in us. And then it says he will flee. But this is not just an individual thing, and John Thompson makes a very good point in his book that for most of the instances of um, deliverance in the New Testament, it's actually mostly done in community. Again, I said at the start, this has been something that's been a bit of an outlier area in the church. One kind of an individual or, or a little parachurch group that does it. Um, you know, but actually, like this is something as a church community that we need to be participating in. And today, I'm not an expert in this area at all. I'm completely a novice really as I'm learning. But I, I want to start a conversation. That's what this talk is about. And uh, don't worry, there's not going to be a deliverance session at the end of this, uh, <laughs> at the end of this message. We're not going to put this into practice right now. If that happens and the Holy Spirit does it well, well hallelujah. But um, I just want to put you at ease that today is all about starting a conversation about, oh, this is something Jesus did. And there's people who are struggling with stuff that's, that's not medical, that's not mental health, it's like psychological stuff. And, and hallelujah, we've got all the experts for that as well. And sometimes it is those things. But sometimes it is, there is a demonic influence in our lives that needs to be dealt with. And that God has given us the power as the church to do that. But we need to do it in community as well, in support. It says in James 5, if any of you are well, and we often just read that as like being sick, like physically sick. But that also could mean um, under, you know, demonic oppression, um, mentally unwell, psychologically unwell. Call the elders, call the mature Christians in your church environment and get them to come and lay hands on you and pray for you. That's, that's what James is writing there. And it also says, confess your sins to one another. Man, we have lost the power of confession because I think confession is a huge part of deliverance ministry. That there, you can't, some stuff you can't deliver yourself from. You need help from other people and you need to get some stuff off your chest. And when, when you actually look through, like this guy in their church, they do a huge comprehensive kind of program where people are filling in questionnaires for you know, all sorts about their background and generational history and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes there's going to be a lot of work that you need to do, like look back through your life. 
and some of that would be confession. Like, oh yeah, I got involved with this and I didn't know how damaging that was. And yeah, that's affected me. It's affected my family line. Yeah, my grandfather was a Freemason. I didn't know that had an effect on my family line. So it, it, it's about like looking at the whole story and then, and then the power of confession to confess to one another. That it's a priestly role that we all had to receive people's confession and pray for. Pray for each other that you may be healed. And it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So I guess what I'm kind of putting a bit of a vision here for is that um, I'd love to continue to explore this area as well as a whole lot of other areas. And um, if, if you're someone that you're kind of interested in, in learning more about this, yeah, would you get in touch? Because it'd be great to be able to develop for our church a little, like, little deliverance team. Um, I like at John Thompson's church that they've called it restoration prayer because they say that the word deliverance is quite triggering for people. And, but I, and I love that word too. Like, that's what it's about. It's about restoration. It's about bringing wholeness into your life. So if that's something that's, um, yeah, that's touching your heart that you want to see people get breakthrough and freedom and hear it, um, get in touch with me. I'd love to be able to, it's going to take a long time, but I'd love to start a journey to start developing some more resources and support for people in our church environment. And lastly, I just want to say that um, it's, as Westerners, we love instant results. Okay, so, so sometimes in prayer, and I've prayed for people for deliverance and seen it happen, and um, they've been praying for me and have stuff cast off. Sometimes stuff comes out straight away. Sometimes you're in a church service, someone goes to pray for you, and something just, the grace of God, it just comes. And, and I think sometimes those demons are the low-level ones, and they're easy to go. The demons are quite stubborn often. Especially they've been in someone for a long time and there's a few of them. And sometimes it takes time and going back and back. And sometimes so it's not going to always be dealt with on a Sunday morning. And that's why I've got a bit of a heart to sort of develop a bit of a ministry here in, within our church plano, because probably it's going to need quite some comprehensive um, prayer and, and conversations and, and a community of people getting around you to help you get through a whole lot of stuff. Jesus himself said, you know, when the disciples came back and said, oh, these demons don't come out. He said, yeah, well, those, that one comes out through, through prayer and fasting. And it doesn't sound like an instant result to me from the way that text reads, does it? It sounds like it might require a bit of time to see that breakthrough. So you've got to sort of outlast some of the demons and these sort of things and have a bit more stamina in your own authority. So, yeah, I, I guess that's what, as I finish today, um, I just want to make, I guess I wanted to make us all aware that this is an area of the church, um, myself included, that's often been neglected. That we've often just thought it was weird or, or strange or esoteric, um, but it's actually a normal part of Jesus' ministry and it should be a normal part of our church life. Um, that just as healing should be a normal part of the church world and miracles and um, other breakthroughs, you should, deliverance should be a part of um, people set, being set free and finding new life. So why don't we just stand?